The Guardians look like they've taken over the AL Central while the Mets, Braves, and Brewers are hanging around in the fight for the NL East and NL wildcard, respectively. I'll have all the latest with regards to pennant race baseball. Another zany week in the NFL as you had some miraculous comebacks in Cleveland, Baltimore, and Las Vegas, all by the road teams. College football made some slight noise with Texas A&M and Oregon, bouncing back with big wins. Canelo Alvarez handles Triple G in their third and final bout. And one of the all-time greats in the world of tennis, Roger Federer, goes off into the sunset as he announces his retirement. There'll be chock-full of sports nuggets coming up, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What? Is happening, my good people. Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. I can hear the great lyrics of Don Henley's 80s classic, The Boys of Summer. Nobody on the road, nobody on the beach. I feel it in the air. The summer's out of reach. Yes, the final few days of the season has arrived as we prepare to usher in autumn. But what's not out of reach is getting your fill on all the latest that's happening in the world of sports, and you know I got you covered as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard, and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to get into. I'll get right to it in a moment. Bit of an overview, college football Not a big schedule this past Saturday, but you had a couple of wins by some teams that took some beatings early on, whether you're Oregon a few weeks ago against Georgia or even Texas A&M losing to Appalachian State. They get back in the win column, and who knows, maybe they could start their trajectory to be a part of the college football playoff discussion. I'll get into that later on. Of course, all the NFL, another crazy week with some big-time comebacks, whether you're in Baltimore, Cleveland, or Las Vegas. And it had nothing to do with the home teams, which is unbelievable when you think about it. So I'll get into that as well as the scenario in San Francisco where now Jimmy G looks like that deal turned out to be stellar if you're the coach and the GM of the team. And I got news for you. You got lucky. I'll dive into that later on. Boxing, Canelo wins unanimously against Triple G. Didn't get a lot of fanfare leading up to the fight. But I'll touch on that for a couple of minutes later on at the back end, as well as tennis great Roger Federer, who, as we all know, one of the all-time greats. You could argue whether he's number one, number two, number three, especially with his contemporaries and a one, Novak Djokovic and Rafael Nadal. We can talk about that later on and his career as he will now retire. He'll play a couple of small tournaments, but as far as him doing the usual, going through the calendar, and especially with the majors, uh uh-uh. Over and done for the 41-year-old, so we'll pay a little tribute to him later on. But I'm going to start off with the baseball, and this is going to be real quick, people. I know everybody wants to hear their NFL takes. They want to get into what took place yesterday, especially with those big comebacks. But I'm starting with the baseball for this reason. I know it's going to be quick. It's going to be swift. You've had some news 
that I've talked about with Albert Pujols and with Aaron Judge, and I'll get to that toward the end of the baseball segment. But quickly, the Guardians had a big week coming up where they played the White Sox there last Thursday at home and lost, but they had a five-game series against the Twins where I said back then that if they win three of the five games, they'll be in good stead for the division, and that's with them going to Chicago to play the White Sox tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. Well, they already have won their three games. They did lose yesterday, and it would really stick if they beat the Twins today, put them out of their misery, even though I think the Twins are done for the division. Because as we look at the AL Central as it's currently constituted, the Guardians hold a six-game lead over the Twins. They could push that to seven with a win today. And even if they do happen to lose, they will still gain a game as the schedule starts to dwindle down to its precious few games. So the Twins, I think, are going to be done as far as the division goes. You could put them out the past year, win or lose today, but if the Guardians do win today, you could forget about them. And then leading into tomorrow's series against the White Sox, which will be huge for Chicago because they need to sweep in the worst way. They're currently four back, three and a half in the division. And again, if they do sweep, they'll be in good stead to put themselves in, in a position to where they could win a division, and this is from a White Sox team that is underachieved all year. Their manager had to leave due to health issues, and if the White Sox were to save any face on this season where I had them picking to for them to go to the World Series, and here it is, a last-ditch effort to not only save their season, but at least to make it interesting going into these final two weeks of the season. So those are three games that we're going to key on especially when we reconvene on Thursday. But the Guardians put themselves in very good position. They should win this division, and it's going to be predicated on what they do here over the next four days. So I wanted to get that right out of the gate. The other division that we're looking at, of course, the NL East. Not much to discuss there since we last spoke on Thursday. The Mets swept the Pirates over the weekend. Yesterday was a little dicey, and I'll get to that in a minute. And then the Braves, who are hosting the Phillies, and boy, a Philly team who lost their last game in Miami. I said on Thursday that they actually swept the Marlins, but I didn't realize that that was a series where they won the first two games, and then they lose the final game in Miami before going to Atlanta, and what happens? They get swept themselves. Talk about paper tigers. Talk about a team that maybe could they go in there and at least wreak havoc. Now, I understand they didn't get blown out 8-2 in every game. A lot of the games were close. I get it, yesterday was 5-2, but for the Phillies, as far as them showing up, and they do have a four-game series against them this weekend in Philadelphia, so the Phillies, who are in a deadlock tie for the wild card, and I'll touch on that in a second, but the Mets and Braves were pretty much chalked the whole weekend, and now as we get into this week, which will be another magnifying take a close look at what's going on. The Mets go to Milwaukee to play for three games before a day off, and then they go to the West Coast to play the Oakland A's. And then Atlanta, their schedule lightens up a little bit as they'll be at home to play the Nationals. So the Mets, this is one of the two series that they have left on the schedule that are tricky. Going to Milwaukee where they just won two out of three against the Yankees, actually could have swept them, but they got blown out there early yesterday thanks to Aaron Judge and his two home runs. And of course, I'll share my thoughts on that in a minute. But this series and then the Braves a week from this coming Friday is pretty much all the competition that they have left. When we look at the rest of the schedule, they have a lot of Nationals ahead of them. They have the Marlins ahead of them. The A's, like I mentioned, this coming weekend. So this series where the Mets go to Milwaukee and the Braves are going to host the Nationals, who knows? By the time we reconnect there on Thursday, the Braves could be in first place. So this division where it's going to come right down to the wire, we think, it's going to be tooth and nail. And all we could say at this present moment, if you're a Met fan, you still have to be a little bit concerned about this division. Now, yesterday with DeGrom, let me start there. He was cruising through five innings and then gave up three straight hits, including a three-run homer to O'Neill Cruz. And this was a game that they needed in the worst way because the Braves have been relentless. We know how feisty and how tough they've been here pretty much since before the All-Star break. And I think since June 1st, they have the best record in Major League Baseball. So they have not slowed down in the least. 
Granted that they did go through a stretch where they lost four out of six the previous weekend in Seattle and San Francisco, but now they are clicking on all cylinders and look primed to take over the NL East before the end of the week. And with DeGrom, what could you say about his performance up until he gave up those three straight hits, including the home run, and then he was pulled, and then thankfully the Mets were able to bail him out and pull out the victory late. With four runs, including three runs, I believe in the seventh inning. I was all involved in the football yesterday, so I was back and forth with the Mets. I didn't really watch bit by bit or even piece by piece. I was pretty much following them on my phone. So the Mets right now still have a one-game lead as we head into this week. And who knows what's going to take place over these next few days. Maybe the Nationals have a win in them which would be great, and they're going to need that because, and you would think, as a Mets fan, there's no way that the Mets are going to go into Milwaukee and sweep the Brewers. You hope for two out of three. Keep the damage at bay. If they lose the series, who knows what that could lead them, even with a day off on Thursday before they take a trip out to the East Bay. So that's what we have there with the National League East and the other divisions. There's nothing to speak of. As we get to the wild card scenario in the American League, you could pretty much forget about the other teams. And what I mean by that is the Baltimore Orioles. They're the one team that are four games back of the last wild card spot. And as I said, time is running out with this team. They've had a great second half. Yes, they've lost some tough games and in the last couple of weeks have not played well. But you got to give them credit. They were 35-44 and 44 at one point, and they turned their season around to at least build off of what took place during the second half of the season to next year with a bunch of young players. And they're still mathematically alive. Who knows? Maybe we'll get to Thursday and things will change to maybe there'll be two back. I'll take a look at who they're playing here in just a minute. But when we take a look at the wild card scenario, it is the same three teams at the top. Your four seed currently are the Blue Jays, Then the Rays and Seattle, where Seattle had a rough weekend. And as we know, Seattle has played well. But they have a wraparound series in Anaheim to where they lost the first three games. They'll conclude their series this afternoon in Anaheim. But a bad weekend for the Mariners as they dropped in the standings. They were pretty much sandwiched between Toronto and Tampa. But right now, they're currently a game and a half behind Tampa. One in the loss to actually both them and the Blue Jays. And then you have the Orioles, who are four back. So let's see if the Mariners could save some face here as they conclude their series against the Angels. And then in the National League, as I mentioned about the Phillies, they had played well even when they went into Miami. And as I talked about since that final game in South Florida, they have not been able to win, losing four in a row. And they put themselves in a position where they're a half game behind the San Diego Padres. You can forget about the Braves as they're already long ahead in the wild card mix. And then you have San Diego, 81 and 66. The Phillies just a half game behind them at 80 and 66. And then the Brewers at 78 and 68. And as we talked about, the Brewers are playing the Mets. Let's take a look at the early schedule for this part of the week where I'm sure you're going to have a bunch of teams more so playing tomorrow. In the American League, Detroit's going to Baltimore, so let's see if the Orioles could fatten up against the Tigers. Houston's going to Tampa Bay, so that's an interesting series there. As I talked about Seattle tomorrow, let's see where their team heads to. They'll go to Oakland for three games, so they'll see if they could try to get themselves on track not only today in Anaheim, but also against the A's. Up in Oakland, we talked about what's happening in the NL East. And Cleveland, Chicago, obviously that's going to be a huge series to see if the Guardians will go ahead and clinch the Central. Other than that, that's what you have as far as the wildcard scenario, even with the divisions. And as we get deeper into the week, now that I see this here, I didn't realize that the Pirates are staying local Considering they just played four games against the Mets, they're playing the Yankees for two games starting tomorrow. So the Yankees, who look like they're going to be in good shape, even though they did lose two out of three in Milwaukee, but they have a sizable lead in the AL East, and it looks like they're going to be fine to win a division title. And speaking of which, Aaron Judge, who hit two home runs yesterday, is at 59. 
The last player in Major League Baseball to get to that number was Giancarlo Stanton, what was it, five years ago in 2017 when he won his MVP. And now being two home runs away, let's see if he does it on this homestand. I'm sure that's going to be enormous. Are the Yankee fans geeked up for that? I really don't know. I haven't spoken to a lot of Yankee fans, and I do have a few of them in my life. But I'm sure the older fan may look at that and will cherish it, knowing that it's a record that not only will be legit and looks legit so far, but also, and you know what I mean when I say that, but knowing that he'll equal and most likely surpass Roger Maris, not only for the Yankee single season, but also American League record when you think about it. And let's see if Judge could do that in front of his home fans as he continues his assault on the AL MVP. Not that that matters because he could take the rest of the regular season off and just give him the award at the start of the playoffs. Because I don't want to hear Shohei Otani. I don't want to hear Jordan Alvarez. Uh-uh. Those guys, you can forget about it. Even Justin Verlander, if you want to throw him a few MVP votes, uh-uh. It belongs to Aaron Judge and nobody else. And then you have Albert Pujols, who is now two home runs away from 700. Funny how the symmetry is with both of these players, two home runs away from tying one record in Judge and then two home runs away from a milestone at 700. And it looks like they're both going to do it. Why not? You still have about 18, 19 games left. If I take a look at the standings here for both teams, the Yankees, their record, 88 and 58. So if you do the math, that's what, 146? That's actually less games than I thought. So they have 16 games to go. And then the Cardinals actually have 14 games to go. Is that right? 87 and 61. That's 148. So they have 14 games. The season has pretty much gone by in a blur, especially in the last couple of weeks. So just to think that, and I understand that two weeks from this coming Wednesday, the season is over, but I'm thinking you had 19, 20 games. No, we have 14 to 16 games left, and you would think that both of these players are going to be able to do that. So we'll continue to see what happens there. Other than that, that's what you have there in baseball. Isn't much to really go into any further. Not a lot of drama. The only drama that you pretty much have left is the NL East. I'm not even going to include the AL Central. Do I even want to talk about the NL wild card with the Brewers? Does anybody really care other than the people that live in Wisconsin? As I talked about for quite some time, and before I move on to the NFL, sadly, baseball this season, unless the Braves and Mets, it's going to come down to that final series in Atlanta, like I mentioned, a week from this Friday. Other than that, you got nothing. And the two home run chases. That is pretty much the final two weeks of your baseball season. So now that I put the bats and gloves away and let's put on the helmet and shoulder pads to get through the NFL because I'm sure everybody's waiting to hear what I have to say about that. Let's cut right to it. Winners and losers of this week and this one is a layup. Your winners, let's start with the Miami Dolphins. I know that the storyline and one of the big focal points going into the season was whether or not Tua Tagovailoa was going to be the guy at quarterback for the Dolphins this year. Now, we understand Miami did whatever it took to bring him all the weapons on that team, in particular Tyreek Hill, and we saw the game that he had there yesterday. We know about Jalen Waddell, the number one pick from last year, teammate of Tua Tagovailoa going back to their days at Alabama, and Raheem Mostert. Uh, we could go through the whole offensive roster, but what we saw there yesterday where the Dolphins were down 28-7 and down 35-14 heading into the fourth quarter. And then all of a sudden, Tua put on his cape and became a superhero right in front of our eyes. Now, I don't know. Was it more the Raven defense than it was Tua? Well, you got to give them credit because Tua was able to execute those plays. I get it. Tyreek Hill open in the secondary. You could definitely blame John Harbaugh, their defensive coaching staff, as to how can you let these guys get past you considering you have this sizable lead. I don't know. They maybe thought the game was over as they probably unbuckled the shoulder pads a little bit thinking that this was going to be a laugher. But you could also put some blame on the Raven offense as they weren't able to muster up any offense in that fourth quarter. I I get it. They kicked a field goal. Big whoop. But considering Lamar Jackson, even though he got another 100-yard game, which is a record breaker for quarterbacks, and does anybody really care about that? That is such a meaningless stat. I'm not trying to throw cold water on Jackson or that achievement, 
by any means. But that's like saying Jerry Rice. I'll just use him, for example. We know he's a wide receiver, the greatest of all time, how many touchdowns, etc., blah, blah, blah. But that's like saying Jerry Rice is now the all-time leader in rushing touchdowns for a wide receiver. Does anybody give a whoop? I don't. Is it an accomplishment that when we look at the annals of NFL history, okay, you want to celebrate it, you want to talk about it, but it's meaningless. doesn't mean anything. So what? He had seven 100-yard games or 10 or 11, whatever it was. I don't care. Get W's. And that's what the Ravens did not do yesterday. But this is not about the Ravens. This is all about the Dolphins. Give it up for Tua. The last second touchdown there to Jalen Waddell. I'm glad that they didn't settle for the field goal down 38-35. They went for the win as they were marching down the field there toward the end of the game. Kudos to the Dolphins. Kudos to Tua Tagovailoa, at least for this week. And let's see if they could build some momentum going into their next game, which I believe is against the Bills. And that is going to be another big test for them. And I talked about this on Thursday's podcast, that this was going to be a big game for the Dolphins to see where they stack against a good team. And granted that they were pretty much left for dead there in the fourth quarter, but they came back, give them all the credit in the world. They're my winner number one. My winner number two, last week was the Giants. This week is the New York Jets. And before anybody could pile on Nick Chubb, and before anybody wants to blast Kevin Stefanski for not having him slide there with, what was it, less than two minutes to go in the game as he went around end and into the end zone for a touchdown, I could see if the score was 21-20, 24-20, even then, where you just want to run out the clock and go home, but you already had a seven-point lead. He punches it in the end zone with, I believe, 156 to go. Now, they missed the extra point, which at the time, yeah, you may have gone, uh, but you say to yourself, A, it's the Jets, and B, a 13-point lead with less than two minutes to go, there's no way we could lose this. And in fact, a team has not come back from a two-touchdown deficit in 21 years. That's all you need to know, with less than two minutes to go in the game. Because remember, you still have to even kick a non-side kick at that point. And as we know, with the way the rules are, there's a 4% chance of getting an onside kick. So all these things had to happen. And not only that, as much as you want to talk about Nick Chubb sliding, oh, they blew the game. Oh, can the defense make a stop? Can they at least, with their pass rush, Miles Garrett, and their defensive prowess? Now, I'm not trying to make them out to be the 85 Bears. I get that. But they do have a game record there on defense, and then it's not as if, let's face it, Dan Marino was on the center there. It was Joe Flacco. So if you cannot get a stop there at 30-17 to 17 with less than two minutes to go, shame on your defense, and shame on your special teams. So I can't even pound Nick Chubb for those who want to do that. Please, you're watching a different sport, and can you bring up that argument and debate it? You can, but there's no debate. The game was over, even at 30-17 to 17 with less than two minutes to go. So with that said, let's show, throw some shine on the Jets. Uh, what could you say? Remarkable performance, a lot of grit, a lot of guts, and let's face it, a lot of luck because they did get that onside kick. They were able to march down the field. They got the last-second touchdown, which was incredible to say the least. And the Browns, man, that is as bad of a loss as you could possibly have. Same for the Ravens for that matter. But, boy, that was just terrible when you think about it. So those are my winners of the week. My losers... I have to start off with the Indianapolis Colts. Here's a team that, I get it, an aging Matt Ryan, 35 years old, his best days are behind him, but to go to Jacksonville and to not put up a single point, and I understand that Jacksonville incrementally, and I'm not talking about leaps and bounds here, but they're starting to improve a little bit. They blew a terrible game in Washington last week, understood, but can you at least score a point? And to think, Indianapolis, as we recall, last year, this was under Carson Wentz, when they lost the final game of the regular season, you would think after tying in Houston that you would still have the bad taste in your mouth, not only from a tie, but knowing that you lost your season, that all you needed to do was win and you would have made it into the playoffs. And you put up a performance like that on the heels of what happened early January of last season that is as pathetic of a game an effort loss whatever you want to call it 
for Jacksonville to shut you out on the road and to start your season 0-1-1 against the dregs of not only the division, but of the sport. And I picked them as an over this year at 9.5, and I'm sure a lot of the people did. Man, I don't know how they're going to come back from that. They're my loser number one. And my loser number two are the Las Vegas Raiders. You have a 20 to nothing lead at the half. You're up 23 to 7. All right, Arizona scores a touchdown, but then you let Kyler Murray go around the field for about a half hour to try to convert a two point conversion, which was converted. No flags were thrown on the play. There wasn't any type of play where it was set. It looked like it was straight out of a schoolyard. And I wonder if converting that two point conversion actually demoralized the Raiders at least for the time being, because that was a back-breaking type of play to where you're trying to get to the quarterback, you're trying to cover the whole field. On top of that, you're surprised that none of the offensive linemen were either holding or at the same time maybe you have an illegal man downfield. I understand it's pretty much at the one-inch line, and I believe there was, what, a full start, and they still went for two at that point? But with all that being said, for them to come back tie the game on two two two-point conversions, and then in the overtime, as the Raiders were trying to march down the field to get themselves in field goal position, Hunter Renfro fumbles the ball, it gets picked up and recovered, returned the other way for a touchdown, and the Arizona Cardinals leave Las Vegas with a 29-23 victory. That's as bad as a loss that you could possibly have. And I just finished talking about how Baltimore blew a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter, and the Browns blowing a 13-point lead with less than two minutes to go. So yesterday, when we encapsulate the winner and loser segment, it was a comeback for the ages when you think about it when it comes to those three teams in those three stadiums on the road to be victorious. I don't know much more to add when it comes to my winner and loser segment. Man. Now, I'm going to trim some fat with some of these games, and I'm not going to break down every single one of them. But the first one I want to start off with, and this is for the Niner fan that's out there, my guy, Louis Pizarro. If you think that by keeping Jimmy G was the ultimate insurance policy, and yes, you could think that, and this is something that you could also debate. We saw Trey Lance get carted off where we found out later on that he had broken his ankle. Excuse me, he's going to need season-ending surgery on it. And I'm sure all of Santa Clara and San Francisco exhaled at the thought that Jimmy G was going to be the quarterback because I'm sure they did not want to see Trey Lance, especially after his performance last week in Chicago, and maybe, who knows, overall the season. But here's the problem that I have with the whole everybody now breaking out the Jimmy G pom-poms considering. Now, they beat Seattle, and yes, they did have that Monday night win, which you got to give it up for Nathaniel Hackett and his brain lock. Why did he kick a 64-yard field goal on 4th and 5? is beyond me. I didn't touch on that Thursday, so that's my bad. But anyway, Seattle's still a bad team. As we saw, they lost 27-7 to the Niners. But for people that are thinking that, oh, thank God we kept Jimmy G, insurance policy, the whole nine, you were ready to throw this guy out in the street. Did you guys forget that you even told his camp and Jimmy G, find an offer elsewhere? We have permission for you to seek a trade to go elsewhere. And guess what? Nobody else bit. They were swimming around in that pond and they saw the Jimmy G bait dangling from the hook and they went the other way. So when that happens and pretty much he's the last guy standing looking around saying, uh, do you guys want me back or not? And it's like, yeah, sure, but you have to take a pay cut, which you did. And on top of that, yes, they could talk about all they want to make it nice and sugary, to make it nice and clean, the soft landing, and obviously they're not going to kill Jimmy G, I understand that, but let's call it as we see it, he was not in their plans this year, he was a guy that was pretty much out the door, and the writing was on the wall, a blind man could have seen that, and it just so happened by luck that there were no takers, and here it is, Jimmy G now back on the team, and then minutes into the second game of Trey Lance's 2020 two season, he gets carted off and now it's Jimmy G's team so for those who are going to think that oh, I knew it, or oh, they're going to look at their crystal ball and said, this is our guy overall, no, 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 no stop that right there so anyway, they went 27-7 to and not to say that 
Jimmy G was spectacular in the game. I didn't watch the game. I didn't follow. But let's see what the Niners do from here on out now that they got number 10 under center. I'm not going to get into Detroit and Washington. I know Detroit had a big lead and then Washington came back. But Detroit ended up winning. Good for them. New England and Pittsburgh. I was going to save that for last. But I might as well just cut to the chase right now. Here's where the game turned. At 10-6, Mac Jones, who had a pass that should have been intercepted by Cam Sutton. I don't know how he dropped the ball. It was literally right in his hands. So instead of having the ball right there, the Patriots had to punt. And then Gunnar Olszewski, who played for the Patriots three seasons prior, or for three seasons leading up until him being a Steeler, helped out his former team by muffing a punt. It was recovered deep in Steeler territory, punched into the end zone, and that was pretty much a game. It was 17-6. The Steelers did come back, get a two-point conversion. But even when they had two offensive chances there late in the game, they couldn't move the ball an inch. And now everybody wants Mitchell Trubisky's head. I get it that the clock for Kenny Pickett to start a game or at least to get put in the game is now pretty much set and starting to tick. I can't put this all on Trubisky. Yes, he was pathetic. I don't want to see too much more of him down the stretch, but the game plan for Trubisky has been safe. Let's call it as we see it. They're not taking big-time chances with him, and I wonder if they're doing that on purpose because they don't want to expose him and knowing that they want to at least keep him as a starter going six, seven, eight games into the season as opposed to two, three, four games into the season. So they're trying to give him that safety net. But as we've seen in these first two games, they have absolutely done nothing offensively. Zero. And the Patriots weren't really impressive either. I know they had the one touchdown catch there by Nelson Algalor, which how did he catch that ball was beyond me. The throw was perfect. I know the corner... Akela Witherspoon, he had an opportunity, but he didn't get his arms high enough where Aguilar jumped, caught the ball, and the next thing you know, he's in the end zone. So, what could you say? Not a game to write home about if you're either team, but the Patriots did win, and that's all I got to say about New England and Pittsburgh. Houston, Denver. Houston hung tough. They played pretty tight. They got the touchdown there late where Russell Wilson was able to finally hit pay dirt. And extend the lead from 9-6 to 16-6. And Houston was feisty, but they obviously have too much of an uphill climb, especially offensively, to try to get themselves back. I understand when you look at even last week, they had that 20-3 lead against the Colts before they tied. But again, they are the Colts, and look at the start that they've gotten off to, as I talked about just a couple of minutes ago. But Denver wins that game 69. They get their first win, and very unimpressive so far in these first two weeks. Chicago and Green Bay, do I even need to talk about that? I touched on this a little bit Thursday as this overrated rivalry going back to the beginning of the NFL findings what two years ago, but nothing there to discuss as Green Bay gets on track. The Bear offense was non-existent, and Aaron Rodgers and company cruised to a 27-10 Sunday night NBC victory. A very nasty game in Tampa between the Bucks and Saints where you had Mike Evans and Marcus Lattimore ejected. This was because... Tom Brady was pointing, I believe it was a first down, and then Lattimore got in his face to where Mike Evans running off from the sideline took a missile-like approach and just attacked Lattimore. You had players littered on the ground where both guys got ejected, but the Buccaneers were able to prevail. And I had a feeling they were going to win this game only because I'm sure they were sick of hearing how the Saints have had the Bucks number in the regular season because remember, Tampa Bay did beat the Saints during the 2020 year where they won the divisional game in New Orleans but for the regular season they have had their number and it was a tight game for the first two and a half almost three quarters before the Buccaneers were able to break through and they won 20 to 10 as they will now go home next week and have their first home game remember they were in Dallas last week and then in New Orleans for the win there yesterday the Giants they're 2-0, surprise there, as that was another ho-hum game. They did kick a field goal late. Daniel Jones, not really impressive. Saquon Barkley, the matchup between he and Christian McCaffrey. I know McCaffrey got 100 yards, but again, not impressive when you look at both of these teams on a whole. But the Giants did prevail, and they're 2-0 in the NFC East. Atlanta and the Rams. The Rams actually had a sizable lead, and then the Falcons came roaring back to the point where they actually had a shot to take the lead late, but then pass intercepted in the end zone by Jalen Ramsey. Iced that with just seconds to go, and that would have been another 
tremendous comeback because the Rams were out in front in this game pretty much from the start. And then for them to let the Falcons back in the game and have an opportunity to actually take the lead and win the game there late. Another rough start for the Rams, even though they did get a split for their first two games at home, losing at Buffalo or losing against Buffalo, I should say, in the Thursday night season opener and then just skating by with a 31-25 victory. Speaking of the Super Bowl participants, the Bengals 0-2 after losing in Dallas to the Cowboys in Cooper Rush and under siege again was Joe Burrow was facing pressure all afternoon and you got to wonder that offensive line that they were trying to shore up during the offseason has not shown up here in the first two games. Seven sacks by the Steelers in week one and another just bad performance by the offensive line here yesterday. They did come back midway through the fourth quarter to get the touchdown and two-point conversion, but then Cooper Rush leads them down the field to a game-winning field goal and now the Bengals have to lick their wounds as they're 0-2 to start their year. And who knows? You got to wonder, a little hangover here early on. Again, I said this team was going to be the hunted this year, going back to the NFL preview, and so far it's looking that way, 0-2, as they head into Week 3. And then the Thursday night game, you had the Chiefs winning in Kansas City at home against the Chargers. Justin Herbert, you got to wonder about his ribs, as he suffered a rib injury. It was more, I believe, cartilage in the rib area, as... The biggest play of the game, they're going in at 17-17 there in the fourth quarter and pick six the other way, Jalen Watson, to make it 24-17. And that's the Chargers in a nutshell. They're a big tease. They're the type of team that has all the talent in the world, whether it be this year or even in years past, to where they take you right to the edge and you feel like they're ready to make that leap. And then all of a sudden, they get drawn back, they get pulled, and they say, "Uh uh-uh, you cannot have nice things. Things are always going to go awry, and as we saw there last Thursday, the Chiefs, who over the last five years with the quarterback and the coach, they've been able to win those tough games for the most part. I get it. Most recently, the AFC Championship game where they had a big lead at home and they spit the bit, but we know that their resume and their track record, they are proven to win those type of games more so than the Chargers, and you'd only hope for Brandon Staley, the coach, and the young quarterback, this could be a learning experience for them as they get deeper into the season and with big expectations for the Chargers this year, you can only hope that they would learn from that. Tonight you have the two Monday night games, which I do not like. Tennessee at Buffalo, 7-15 on ESPN. And then at 8-30, you have Minnesota at Philadelphia. On paper, two good games. Let's see if Tennessee could bounce back from their dreadful week one performance against the Giants. And Tennessee's weird. They're the type of team where you think, oh, they're going to get slaughtered in Buffalo, but then it'll be 17 up in the fourth quarter. And the Bills are going to be scrambling around trying to pull out a victory. Would I be shocked if the Bills, in their home opener, open up a 21-3 lead at the half? I would not. But Tennessee, they could pull these surprises from time to time. So let's see if Tennessee could do so as they go to Orchard Park to kick off the first game. And then Minnesota and Philly, two 1-0 teams. Minnesota beating Green Bay last week. Philadelphia beating Detroit, barely. But you could only hope that both of these games are good, competitive. There aren't, it's not a bad matchup, either one of the two. But the one thing that you don't like is that, yes, you could watch the first half of the one game and then you could go to Minnesota Philly and then go back and forth. But why the NFL did this, especially in week two, is beyond me. I guess they're trying to get cute with the schedule. I guess they didn't want to have the opening night as they have done over the last, whatever it has been, I guess the last decade or so, maybe less than that, where they've had the Monday night doubleheader. But here's a doubleheader of different sorts as they overlap one another. I don't like it. You'd want to watch one game standalone and then the other game as opposed to having both games simultaneously. That's just me. But that is your week two ending off tonight in Buffalo and in Philadelphia before we get to Thursday night, Pittsburgh at Cleveland. We'll talk more about that on the next podcast come Thursday. As for college football... Very ho-hum this week. Nothing really to write home about unless you're Texas A&M and Oregon as you bounce back nicely from two bad defeats this year. And granted, it's only week three of the season. But for Texas A&M, as they lose to Appalachian State the week before, and Appalachian State beat Troy on Saturday with a game-ending Hail Mary. So a lot of feel-good 
there in that university with what they've done over the last two weeks, but they're not going to be a part of any college football playoff discussion. But for A&M to now get themselves maybe right in the ship after the loss the week before to App State, excuse me, and then for them to beat Miami, low-scoring game, 17-9, they hung on late, and Miami, who was ranked 13th in the country, Texas A&M, that was a game that they had to, if they were going to get themselves in the discussion, and I don't think they're going to, now they'll have to beat Alabama in order for us to really take them seriously, if they're going to be a threat or to be a part of that college football playoff discussion, but... They did get back on the beam, and they beat a top-ranked team. Is Miami anything close to Miami of yesteryear? Absolutely not. But they are what they are, and coming into the game, they were ranked 13th overall. And for Texas A&M to win, I'm sure that's going to help them a little bit and get themselves on the mend here to be anything close to what they could possibly be or what was thought to be of Texas A&M this year. That was a good step in the right direction. And then Oregon, who got spanked by Georgia in the opening game, beats BYU, no contest there. They had a 38-7 lead before they won 41-20. And for them to also get themselves part of the discussion, they needed a win like that. And for Oregon, who a lot of people think that they could have been part of the championship mix or a team that could maybe hang around and be a part of that. I don't know if they're going to. Again, BYU, a team that maybe people thought could be under the radar to be a Cincinnati-type team, as we saw them make it to the Final Four last year. Well, after this loss, you could pretty much forget about BYU, but let's see Oregon. Maybe this could also jumpstart them to maybe crawl back up the rankings and see where they end up come late November into December. So those were two big wins. And then you had Michigan State get hammered by Washington, and they're the 11th-ranked team. So for those that are in East Lansing thinking that the Spartans could have made a push or could have made themselves part of that whole playoff mix, you can forget about it as Washington just obliterated them. There was no contest, even though it was 39-28, but the game was not an indi- it wasn't an indication of how close the game was. It was a blowout pretty much from the start. Washington had a 22-0 lead and were up 39-14. So even though you can look at the score and say, oh, maybe they pulled away late, uh uh-uh. They were in control from the start. So Michigan State, you could pretty much say bye-bye to any college football playoff talk. And that's all you have there in college football this past week. Nothing else to really get into, nothing else to really dissect. Your rankings, I would think they'll be the same, especially at the top where Georgia and Alabama will still be 1-2, and followed by Ohio State, Michigan, Clemson, then Oklahoma, who spanked Nebraska. No shock there. Then you have USC, Kentucky, Okie State, Arkansas. Round out your top 10. That's pretty much it in college football. And a couple of quickies to round us off here for the pod. Canelo Alvarez fought Gennady Golovkin, otherwise known as Triple G. And there was a third round of this trilogy. Not a lot of fanfare, not a lot of hype. I know at the pre-fight press conference to weigh in they looked like there was going to be a bit of a scuffle which we normally see during these types of settings and scenarios but when it was all said and done there was a lot of respect between the two fighters they hugged it out at the end where Canelo Alvarez unanimously wins over Triple G no surprise there and even though Triple G did come around late winning four to final five rounds it was actually a lot closer than it was with the scoring one judge had it 116-112 the other two had it 115-113 But for the most part, Alvarez was in control. He was able to do a lot early on in the fight. And even with Triple G trying to make a comeback there toward the end to tip the scales a little bit. But you had Alvarez win and Golovkin lose. This is pretty much going to be it for the two of them. The final one wasn't anything comparable to the first two fights. Not that I was nip and tuck watching every round of the first two fights. Because as we know, boxing is a shell of its old self. But in trying to capture whatever last-minute magic did you get that in this fight, based on what I read and what I tried to see, whether it was highlights or just to get a feel of this fight, absolutely not. It did not have a lot of sex appeal. Yes, maybe the matchup and maybe that it was a third go-around for these two warriors, but other than that, uh uh-uh. I can't say that this was one that you're going to put in the annals of one of the 
top trilogies of all time. It's not Arturo Gotti, Mickey Ward, certainly not Ali Frazier. Uh, go on down the list. And then lastly, in tennis, Roger Federer, through his social media accounts, has now called it a career, which you kind of saw coming, trying to bounce back from knee injuries at the age of not only 40, but 41. It's going to be tough. And with a lot of the young players that are coming up, whether your name is Yannick Sinner, also Taylor Fritz, Carlos Alcaraz, these are guys that now could be moving in to the next level, even though you still have Rafael Nadal, you still have Novak Djokovic, but these are the guys that look like are going to be the future face of tennis. You want to throw in Francis Tiafo as well? You can. Federer said, uh-uh, it's time for me to step down, time for my career to come to an end. Now, he's going to play in the Rod Laver Cup to cap off his illustrious career. He's probably going to play in some of these small tournaments where he's not going to have to go full bore and not going to have to wonder or worry, I should say, about his conditioning and his nutrition, things of that nature. So for Federer, we know all-time great. You could argue whether or not he's number one. He was a graceful player, unlike Rafa, who was a guy that pretty much every point played like if it was his last. And Djokovic is like a robot when you see him out there. But when we talk about finesse, when we talk about grace, when we talk about just all the components of what you want to see in a tennis player, if you were to build him up in a lab, Roger Federer will probably be at the top of your list. I get it. You want to have the guts, the grit, and determination of the doll, and you want to have that laser-like, almost robotic, and relentless force that we've seen with Novak Djokovic. But I'm sure when we look at the three, the one that a lot of tennis aficionados and even sports fans alike that would probably look at to say, I would want to play like this guy, it would be Federer. The 20 Grand Slams, number three all time. He was number one for quite some time before both Nadal and Djokovic passed him. You could argue whether or not which one is the GOAT of men's tennis. Some will say Federer, but then there will be some that will say he never really won at the French or beat Rafael Nadal in a semifinal or a final at the French Open. And he did win one, but never against Nadal. We could talk about him and Djokovic, where Djokovic got the best of him toward the latter part of his career. It's semantics when it's all said and done. And yes, we could look at Djokovic being maybe better than Federer or Nadal, no matter how you cut it. At the end of the day, Federer, you could rank him one, two, or three. He belongs there. What an illustrious career that he had as all those Grand Slam majors, him being the conduit after Pete Sampras, him being that next guy before both Djokovic and Nadal hit the scene. And of course, they're all going to be lumped together in history as those three facing off. It was either one of those three winning a Grand Slam tournament. You want to throw in Andy Murray, sprinkle him in a little bit over the course of their career. And I'm sure Murray is probably thinking, thank God I don't have to face that guy again. But he still does have Joker and Nadal out there. But again, it's about Federer. Congratulations to him. What a great career as he now goes off into the sunset. So whatever he does in the next chapter of life, wish him nothing but the best. The Hall of Fame is next up for him. And all the thrills and everything that he provided, we thank you, a one Roger Federer. That'll do it for this podcast, people. Thank you so much for sticking with your boy, this little podcast host, and this little podcast overall. The little engine that could as I continue to go up that track to get myself into the household name category. So for the diehards that have been with me from day one or somewhere in the middle or even the newbies that have jumped on board, thank you for stopping by. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to what it is that I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. And if you haven't done so, like I said at the top, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcast. Throw me a few stars, write a review, take a screenshot, send it to me on social media, which I'll get to in a second. I am not going anywhere, people. This is what I love to do, as I'll talk about in a second. So please subscribe, rate, and review. I would greatly appreciate it. If you want to hit me up on the aforementioned social media accounts, you could do so. TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. Twitter, J Reels, one, just a number. Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or 
thejreelspodcast at gmail.com. Hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, suggestions. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And then lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy, dot com slash the J Reels Podcast. Whatever you want to put forth there is going to go 100% to this endeavor, whether it's the production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, even some merchandise. Yes, I understand that may be recycled if you want to Put forth on this platform, which I know I've been talking about, needing to put some more content on there. But again, being a one-man operation and trying to do so much, not only produce this podcast twice a week, but also do all the other behind-the-scenes stuff, whether it's the merchandise that I have and I'll put up this week. You'll see on any of my social media accounts. I'm working that on the website. It's a little tricky right now, but that's another story. And all the other stuff that I need to do, marketing, advertising, just getting this on the tracks to the point where, like I said earlier, not only being a household name, but I want to be your source for all the sauce in the world of sports. And even though I've been doing so for now, pretty soon, 300 episodes are going to be in the can. So with that said, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. I'm not going anywhere as long as the good Lord has me here on his green earth. Anything and everything, whether it's thoughts, opinions, analysis, critique, praise, On what goes on, the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, race tack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.